You're about to listen to a We Are LA Tech Remix episode, where we present to you a curated selection of impactful clips from previous episodes that you may have missed. And be sure to follow the links in the show notes to listen to the full episodes. I'm Alex Bloomberg, host of the podcast Startup, and you're listening to We Are LA Tech. My name is Esprit Devora, born and raised LA, and I created We Are LA Tech in 2012 to unify the community. Podcast launched in 2014, continuing to help people find the best talent, to connect with each other, to form awesome relationships. So proud of this show. Enjoy. Hey, this is Tyler Dank, co-founder and CEO of Beehive. Beehive's an all-in-one product studio for newsletters. I'm based in West LA. It, maybe it's just top of mind, but one of our larger content creators, they just tweeted out like his chart that shows like in the dashboard of Beehive. I saw that on your, tweet, yeah, yeah, on your so timeline. That was just, so inspiring. He just crossed 9,000. What he, was he doing? I asked that on Twitter. But like before that, he goes, I was stuck between 400 and 600 for yeah, like six months. That's what I saw. And just spinning my wheels. Yeah. And so... I'm not a just like stick with it type person. Well, I am, but like that's not the cliche advice that I would give. Yeah. But like seeing that, I mean, because it's top of mind, I just like if you believe that it's interesting content, the world is so much bigger than you think it is, especially remote and with like content online, that if you find an interest in it, I'm sure there's thousands or hundreds Wait. or thousands of others. Wait, that's all that he was consistent and all of a sudden he went from 600 to like 9,000? Well, well, then he moved to Beehive. So. Oh, wait, so you think, because he said that in the tweet that it was, be, what do you oh, think I'm it was about Beehive? I'm not going to take all the credit, right? Like, for well, no, sure. but what do you think it was about Beehive? I mean, the low-hanging fruit answer that I also will yeah. give the disclaimer that it's not like a silver bullet yeah. is like that referral program that worked really yeah. well. We did, I mean, and we aren't like the first ones to ever think of a referral program and the skim did it before us. And like we mimicked ours off of theirs initially and then innovated the hell out of it. But like at Morning Brew, that referral program led to over a million subscribers, which is massive. We had one reward at three referrals. You got like an exclusive Sunday newsletter. Yeah. We had over 100,000 people in that Sunday newsletter. Wow. So 100,000 people that have shared at least three times with other people. There are so many newsletters that wish they had 100,000 people, and that was just the people who had shared more than three times. Wow. So I also give the disclaimer, it isn't a silver bullet, because a lot of people think, like, if I have this tech that is a referral program, I'm just going to skyrocket my growth. If half of my audience shares with just two people and that streak continues, we're going to be at 10,000 in no time. And the truth is, like, you really have to understand your audience and know what is the reason why they signed up. And what's like an actual incentive that makes sense to offer as part yeah. of a referral program? So it's like, I guess the second suggestion is like really knowing your audience. Yeah. And people overthink it. They're like, how I do I know? I knew you were going to say that though. But, like, <laughs> but honestly, like if you were to ask and people always say like, how do I ask people to share? I'd be like, honestly, at the top of the newsletter, as simple, like if you've been enjoying this, just like forward it to someone who you think might enjoy this as well. It's always like my first point of advice that I give and people turn around and say, we saw like the biggest growth day ever by just wow. asking people. So I think people think it's like, because it is fairly isolating. You're in your setting, you create your content, yeah. and then you press a button, it's out in the world. Yeah. You don't understand that the people receiving it, one, opted in to receive it, hopefully. Yeah. And, like, they are very... Rece- Completely, pe- hopefully. I cannot stand yeah. it when people add my email to their list. It's and, like... And everyone's kind of, like, on their own, like, they're on the subway commuting, or they're yeah. at the office. Like, sometimes you need to break them out and actually just have an action item in front of them of, yeah. like, if you enjoy this, just forward it to someone who you think would enjoy it as well. And, like, that works really well. So that's like caveating with like the know your audience. 
and kind of ties into the referral program, which is just like Morning Brew did like t-shirts and coffee mugs and everything else, but it worked because we had such a powerful brand and the writing was so conversational and witty that people really resonated and it felt like their best friend was talking to them in the newsletter. Not every like finance newsletter has that brand. So if you offer a t-shirt or a mug, like odds are people don't want that. What worked really well for Morning Brew was understanding people signed up because they wanted to be informed about business news and like in the know of their friend group. Hey guys, this is Dave Whalen, CEO of Bioscience LA, building the life sciences ecosystem for Los Angeles, based in Culver City. Having the right mix of those, because you have to have both, right? Because I think you can, I mean, you can survive on vision for sometimes for a long time. And I think, you know, and, and Peloton might be a good example of that, right? Peloton survived more on vision than operations, and now it has to switch to operations. You know, there's companies that may be, you, I mean, you can have vision and not operations and last for a while. You can have operations and not vision, not last very long, but at least be efficient doing it. But you've got to have this mix of both. I mean, for us, it was, you know, interestingly, you talk about sort of the, you know, having, you know, kind of, you know, doing some of those right things in the early days and kind of, you know, getting the right support. I, I feel like, you know, for us, we we did produce amazing content and we produced amazing content, you know, Hollywood quality content on on a shoestring budget, but we still did so much of it that, you know, we literally spent, you know, like a couple million dollars on amazing content. So, okay, it's one thing to say we have, okay, we have like $10 million worth of content that we did for a couple million dollars, but then maybe we could have done half that content and started to, you know, invest in marketing, test. So I think our problem, our problem was we tried to be too perfect and we, I used to I used to joke with the 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 you know the CEO and I had another guy that I actually knew from college who was like I had brought in to manage our technology and he and I would have a lot of these conversations where we were what's the the quote is uh, like done is better than perfect yes so we um we were striving for perfection so therefore we were we were never done and so I like to joke that we could have launched the business in 2017 or early 2018 or late 2018 or sometime in 2019. And we were, every time we were ready to launch, we said, no, we, it needs to be more perfect. And so we would instead go off and create some new content or work on some new technology. And so on the one hand, I'll say we didn't have product market fit. But we didn't have product market fit because we never even had a chance to test it to figure out what we could do better because we were always trying to make it better before we launched it. And so, you know, at that point, it's like, you know, you just you run out of options. And so going back in time, we should have just really forced ourselves to let's just make it happen. And I remember, um, I think, you know, uh, Kalika Yap from Citrus Studios and like, uh, you know, Kalika was working on some of our, like a, an early website for us. And we were, at that point, we wanted to have the technology, the content on the, on the website. And, you know, she said in 2018 or whatever it was, just take these first 15 videos and put them on this simple website and put it in front of people and see how they respond. And, you know, we said, well, no, we've got to, we've got to have a paywall. We've got to have this, we've got to have that. We'll have to wait till we have more content. And so, 
like that could have been launch one or somebody else said, let's put this out and, and test it. We just never got there. And then by the time it was something that we felt like we really could launch, you know, we had no people, we had no money. And therefore, you know, you also can't launch, you know, without without people, without money. And so, yeah, I wish we could go back and fix that. But it was a really great experience. <laughs> This is Elizabeth Dell, founder of Amorous, the romance intimacy app for couples out of Koreatown. Actually, I think my why is so much your why, too. It's, I love human connection. I love people. I love the ability to create relationships and vulnerability and intimacy and to see the humanity in other people. And I think there is nothing more empowering than pleasure. There is something so when you express a desire to a partner and the partner wants that and helps you achieve that and you have pleasure as a result, it's remarkably, it's like revolutionary. It's And it's incredibly empowering because it says you deserve pleasure in the world. You deserve space. You like people honor you. People hear you. People want the things that you have to say and express and be in the world. And that's just, we all deserve that, that, and I want to help people find it. Like, you know, sometimes it is finding it in the most delicious moments that then you have the sort of insight, oh, well, then I should be able to find this in all of the other moments too. I am deserving of this as I walk through the world in every way, shape and form, but I'm especially deserving of this with the people that I love most. But also, I just love, like, I, I love passion. I love sexuality. I love these spaces. I love the humanity that is all of us. So I want to share that with as many people as possible. I love the humanity that is all of us. I love that line. Mm -hmm. <laughs> What's next for you? Where where would you like Amherst to go? Where would you like you to go in, in being a founder now? Um, are you applying to accelerators? Are you trying to raise money? Like, where where what's next? I feel like I'm always applying for some accelerator or another and trying to, to find the people and the institutions that are going to support us on this journey. I'm definitely fundraising. You know, we are wrapping up a first friends and family raise and I'm about to embark in the next couple of months on kind of the proper venture fundraise process and finding partners who want to be with that and who are really excited about, you know, romance tech and that there is this whole other market after dating, only 30% of us are single, 70% of us are in relationships. And so there's this incredible opportunity there for people to connect with their people for all of their lives. And so, but as I said, the challenge of what we do is that it is intimacy and pleasure. And so finding the people who want to champion that, who are comfortable with that, that's certainly something I'm always doing. So far, we're only iPhone. Uh, part of the fundraise process is to enable us to go to platform and to be able to be Android as well. But right now we are iPhone only or iOS, I should say, iOS only. But yeah, I mean, listen, my my vision, I think we should be on more phones than dating apps. There are more people in relationships. We should be on more phones than dating apps. I want a world in which HBO has some sex comedy and they're making a joke and two people stare at a phone and someone goes, oh, my God, can you believe they sent that? Do we think we're on Amorous? 
and the camera never has to show what's on that phone. Everybody watching HBO gets that joke because everybody knows that you have Amherst on your phone. Like you should be a sexy person in the world. So, of course, you have the app for sexy things. And what you do on that is your own darn business. But like you are a grown up and you believe in pleasure and you have healthy relationships and you are a sexy goddess. So, of course, you do that with Amherst. Yeah, that's that's my vision. We're going to be more ubiquitous than Tinder. The We Are LA Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The We Are LA Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production.